0: Welcome to Privacy Piracy. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and KUCI.org. I'm Lloyd, engineer and co-host with Mari, and uh, you can find out about our guests and shows at www.KUCI.org, Privacy Piracy. If you don't know our host, let me tell you just a little bit about her expertise. She's a local attorney and privacy consultant. She's the author of several books, including her two new books, Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft with a CD. She's testified many times in the California legislature and the U.S. Congress and hosted her own 90-minute PBS special this year called Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. She's been featured on 48 Hours, Dateline, CNN, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows. To learn more, please visit www.identitytheft.org. So let's get started with a great show tonight. As soon as I turn on her mic and she can talk. Mari, how are you?
1: I'm doing well. How are you? Are you finally all well? Yep, I think so. Well, i got to tell you, we are so lucky to have a fantastic guest tonight. And this is a real scary issue. We're going to be talking about... RFIDs. And I bet some people out there don't even know what the heck I'm talking about. And I'm talking about radio frequency identifiers. And this is the new invasion. And uh, the, the woman we're going to be speak, speaking to tonight is the author of Spy Chips. So, let me tell you a little bit about Katherine Albrecht. Uh, I have had the opportunity to meet her only by phone and, and by meetings by phone, but I am extremely impressed, and I, and I was lucky enough to just finish reading her book as well. Katherine Albrecht is the co-author of the award, award-winning bestseller, Spy Chips, How Major Corporations and Government Plan to Track Your Every Move with RFID. Catherine is widely recognized as one of the world's leading experts on consumer privacy. She's testified in RFID technology, again, that means radio frequency identifiers, um, before the Federal Trade Commission, the California State Legislature, the European Commission, and the Federal Reserve Bank. And she's given over a 1,000 television, radio, and print interviews to news outlets all over the world. And her efforts have been featured on CNN, NPR, the CBS Evening News, Business Week, the London Times, just to name a, fl- a few. And we are so lucky that she's joining us here at the University of California, Irvine. Um, Executive Technology Magazine recently called Catherine perhaps the country's single most vocal privacy advocate. And Wired Magazine called her the Aaron Brockovich of RFID. A quote in the Montreal Gazette compared Catherine's consumer work to that of Ralph Nader. She graduated magnum cum laude with a Bachelor of Science degree in business administration with a a concentration in international marketing. And she holds a master's degree in instructional technology from Harvard University. She's currently completing her doctorate in education at Harvard, where her research is focusing on consumer education, privacy, and psychology. And we are so lucky to have her here. You can find out more about her book at... uh, spychips.com. So, Catherine, are you there? I am here, Mari, and it's such a delight to be on your program. Oh, Catherine, thank you for waiting. You're terrific. We are so excited, and I I really enjoyed reading your book, Spy Chips. It's uh, it's scary. I I knew a little bit about things, but you sure informed me a lot more. Tell me, Catherine, um, for those in our audience who haven't heard of RFID, uh, tell us really what it is. and give us a sense of how it works so people have a better understanding.
2: Sure thing. RFID, the RF part stands for radio frequency, which is how these tiny devices actually transmit information. The ID part stands for the fact that uh, the, the plan is to literally use radio waves to identify every, ultimately, every physical object manufactured on Earth, believe it or not. And what this is, it's, it's a plan to use tiny microchips hooked up to miniature antennas and literally to place one on um, virtually every product manufactured in every manufacturing plant on the globe as a replacement to the barcode. And this got started back in 1999. Procter and & Gamble and Gillette got together with something called the Uniform Code Council, uh, the UCC, which are the folks who manage the barcode, and they um, teamed up and approached the engineers at MIT and created a, um, basically an industry consortium to find a way to make this technology small enough, efficient enough, and cheap enough that literally you could um, place these onto, uh, onto tiny stickers and affix them to items you could see sandwich them between the layers of cardboard. You could sew them into the seams of clothing. You could literally drop one of these tiny tags into the plastic mold as you were molding a bottle or uh, the sole of a shoe or something in a factory and literally build the plastic around it. And so the idea is that once every object manufactured on Earth has one of these tiny tags in it, reader devices in the environment would send out bursts of electromagnetic energy, sort of invisible radio waves is um, probably the easiest way to think about it. And as you have these reader devices in the environment, any tag that's nearby would pick up the energy from the reader device, that little burst of radio energy. It would be just enough energy to be amplified by the antenna and to cause that little chip call-out with its unique ID number. So in a way, it would be like giving every object on Earth its own social security number and enabling these objects to speak to one another and to speak to reader devices that could be placed in doorways, they could be placed under floor tiles, they could be woven into carpeting. Uh, we've seen examples of them actually used in real stores placed in shelves. And in fact, in our book Spy Chips, we even talk about one company that has an RFID reader in a picture frame. So literally, you could be standing there admiring an artwork, and the artwork could be sending invisible pulses of electromagnetic radio energy to you, and anything that you're wearing or carrying, whether that's the the label in your clothing, the, um, the tag on a big pen in your purse, the tag on the tennis shoes in your duffel bag, whatever it is, all of those tiny devices embedded in and on the things that you're wearing and carrying would be able to identify themselves and basically do a little information handshake with the picture frame or the doorway or whatever it is. So the, the, the idea here is that things could be trackable Any place on the globe at any point through a series of locally located readers. The read range on these devices is anywhere from a couple of inches to 15, 20, even 30 feet away. You're not going to be able to read them from satellites, for example, or in some cases even from across a room, but through a series of strategically located readers, which its developers picture having in our medicine cabinets, our refrigerators, the doorways of public buildings, and virtually everywhere else, it would make it possible to identify the last place, for example. Your shoe was seen walking through a doorway, and by extension, figure out where you are and what sorts of things you were wearing and carrying when you walked through the doorway.
1: You know, Catherine, this is just transponder, and you were wondering about the privacy policy of, you know, the highways that were collecting that information with your transponder. and um, And so I was thinking to myself how I get my bill, and they know exactly how long it took me to go from X to Y, right?, and um, there's a spy chip in, in the transponder. That's how they build me every month, and that's yeah, how they know where I am going. And
2: you know, it's funny how how the government has managed to get us all to carry these um, these these horrible tracking devices in our cars in the form of transponders. Actually, um, in the in the epilogue of spy chips, what we're actually talking about is down in um, Houston. We discovered that the Houston Toll Roads had placed reader devices capable of reading those toll transponders miles away from the toll booths, that they had actually placed them every one to five miles along the road, and that they were using them to single out and track individual cars as a way to monitor the speed of traffic flow. So if you were one of those unlucky people, they'd <laughs> capture your number coming out of the toll booth and then just sort of watch your entire trip and then use that as a way to update uh, their their traffic logs and Internet-accessible uh, traffic pattern information. I, I know I, p- I personally would not have one of those in my car, Mari. I, I'm, I find them very disturbing, the Idea that as I pass through a toll booth that government agents would be collecting a record of where I've gone. And in the book, we actually detail um, at least one individual who had their privacy violated by that when one woman had her toll record subpoenaed by uh, her ex-husband's attorney in a custody case and it was basically used against her to show that she had a pattern of working late. Right. And therefore, anybody who was seen going through the toll booth, you know, in, in the evening instead of earlier in, in the afternoon, must be a, a poor parent because she couldn't be on the road and home with her children at the same time. Right. So, right. you know, those records are kept. They are in, in databases, and they're available to be subpoenaed and used against people. We know that uh, in the New York tollway system that there are literally hundreds of subpoenas um, within the time that they've been keeping records on that, and many of those records are turned over to law
1: enforcement for use against people who have those in their cars. see that's what's so frustrating. you know, on one hand, you want to use something that's convenient, and it is and it's much more convenient than pulling off the the tollway and you know paying your your toll and getting back on so that's one thing so when you when most people they sign up for the transponder because it's a convenience. And when information is collected for one purpose, it should never be used for another purpose. And well, that's the problem. Say, when,
2: when they designed those transponders, it would have been possible to design the technology in such a way that it would not keep individual track of you. I'll give you an example. It, it would be possible to simply pay $20 in advance and have $20 worth of anonymous toll passages encoded in, in onto the transponder. Right. You, you wouldn't have to get a bill. They wouldn't have to say, hey, we saw you there at 315 on Friday afternoon, and we saw you coming back the other way at you know 517. They wouldn't have to do any of that. They could literally just deduct from, from an anonymous account that wouldn't even have to be linked to an individual, uh, literally deduct each passage until the thing was no longer valid. <laughs> At that exactly. Point, you, you, you would say, okay, well, I've been through this number of times. I mean, the, the it's like with the subway, yeah. You know, yeah, this, well, when you get to so, the
1: subway, you can buy several passes through, and they don't have to know who it is. Exactly. Absolutely. And what I find so interesting whenever this, this argument that, well, it's convenient, we trade our privacy for convenience,
2: that the folks who put these programs together really do have an interest in being able to individually <laughs> track people. That's the part that's so, you know, that that's so mind-boggling. Right. Like cell phones, you know, the, the the fact that cell phones can be triangulated and located now, and many of them have a GPS feature. That was all mandated through the E nine eleven system. That the idea being that if you got in trouble and you had to call and you you called in and you called nine one one, and you needed an emergency response, you may not be able to identify where you are because, of course, when we're traveling with our cell phones, we're often on unfamiliar roads. So instead, so, so instead of saying, well, why don't we put a little red button in there <laughs> when you get in trouble, you can push the red button and activate a location, you know, beacon device. Right. Only and, use it when you need it. Absolutely. Instead, they built it in so that now our cell phones can be pinpointed and, and located at any time. And, of course, law enforcement agents are, are delighted to be able to use that ability to keep tabs on, on citizens. So, you know, that... It, whenever you're talking about a new technology and you're talking about the trade-off of we give up privacy for convenience, I always say question that. Think think twice because there's probably a way that this we could have gotten the convenience without the privacy invasion. And the fact that we didn't get that version of it, you know, it usually raises a, f- a few red flags for me when I'm looking at these technologies.
1: Exactly. I mean, we ha- there's always a least invasive way to do these mm-hmm. things. And, and the fact that it's not there, we... Again, most people are are not privacy conscious. They don't, you know, they're trusting. They they think that if you buy something for one purpose, it won't be used for another. But there really isn't that transparency. And that's the real problem with all these privacy issues is there isn't transparency. There isn't a limitation on use and access. And, and that's the scariest part. But you're right. I mean, I, I think we should do something with regard to these toll roads. Yeah, why shouldn't we be able to buy, you know, like a... a like a you know, a prepaid phone card or a, a you know a, and a, an
2: anonymous transponder. And you know, it's it's funny, I know um, I, I, I call it the privacy tax. <laughs> and yeah. I pay it frequently. Um, the privacy tax is when I choose not to shop at a, at a well, I, this isn't a good example, at a store with a frequent shopper card. Uh, I say that's not a good example because um, research has actually shown that stores with frequent shopper cards, even if you take advantage of the, the supposed discounts, cost you more than stores that don't have those. So that's probably not a good example. But but in other in other arenas of my life, I, I frequently pay this this privacy tax where I'll pay a slightly higher price in order to shop at a place that won't invade my privacy or or to, um, in, in my case, the, the privacy tax and driving through the toll roads here in New Hampshire. Right. My privacy tax is that I actually have to carry a roll of quarters in, in my car, and I do slow down and I, I hand the three quarters to the, the woman in the toll booth, and I, then I pick up speed and I keep going. And sometimes I have to wait in a bit of a line to do that, but I figure that those extra few moments, if, if if I don't do that, then who is going to do that? And when my kids grow up and they're riding on, on you know the toll roads, then they won't be in a position to to even have that privacy option unless we exercise it now. And another good example I give of that is um, in, in the case of cash. I I pay all of my I buy all of my groceries and make all of my payments in cash. And I do that because I really do have a, a slogan which is cash, use it or lose it. If we don't actually take advantage of the fact that we do have anonymous cash to make our purchases, eventually the people who are pushing for these contactless RFID-based smart cards, which we can get into, eventually those folks are going to say, well, nobody cares about cash. We can eliminate it because nobody really wants it or uses it. So especially those of us who are conscious of privacy, who listen to programs like this and who think about these issues, probably we should be leading by example and getting rid of our toll transponders, getting rid of our credit cards, and, and really making those, um, Privacy-conscious
1: decisions while there's still time to do it, and and I think it goes further to say, look, you have an alternate use. W- you know, we're happy to use our toll roads, and we're happy to make it more convenient, so we don't have these lines. But why can't we have the alternate choice of being able to buy a prepaid card? So well, that's, you know, that's Marie, there, really there, the
2: only reason I'm reluctant to advocate that as a solution. This was a section in our book, Spy Chips, that I, I think in the final in the final edits didn't make it in there. But there, there's a toll road up in Canada where they were eliminating the cash option altogether. And there was an outcry over the the privacy issues associated with that. And they said, well, if you eliminate the cash option altogether, you need to make provide some sort of privacy protection for people traveling on that road. And what they did was they developed a very sophisticated way of doing this, where they only photographed certain license plates if there was a problem. They, they shielded the camera in a particular way. They made these prepaid toll transponders available to people. And everything went fine for a certain period of time. This actually was the only toll road in all of Canada um, and I believe possibly in all of North America, where it was impossible to drive on the road with cash without a transponder. Huh. and what what happened, and I think this is the ultimate irony. it's why I always say be careful what options you eliminate and be careful what who you trust. because ultimately what happened was that that toll road wound up being sold by the by the um the government of Canada to a private operator whose first official step was to eliminate all of the privacy protections. Oh. And so now here you had a road that, that by custom, you know, people had become accustomed to the fact that you couldn't pay cash on it, and that, you know, the people who cared about privacy, their options were now gone. So I, you know, I, I'm always reluctant. If there's a technical fix, if there's a, a governmental fix, that, you know, if, if all it's going to take is one single directive to wipe out the privacy protection you've carefully put in place, you, you may be putting a noose around your neck that, that you, <laughs> you
1: may later regret when, when someone pulls the other end of the road. Yes, Catherine, you're so right. And that, that kind of leads us to the RFID legislation that's being introduced in California that we wanted to talk about. And, and, uh, Catherine and I were actually in a meet. I was actually in the physical meeting and she was there by, by phone to discuss some of the issues of, uh, Senate Bill 768, which was introduced by Joe Smidian. Joe Smidian was on our show several weeks ago and, uh, had a terrific show with him. And, and I wanted to talk a little bit about this bill right now because it's going to be uh, coming up again this year. And when you're talking about you're reluctant to have certain, uh, you know, fixes with privacy, the, the idea is is we have to have some safeguards built in before the technology is utilized and, and you know, uh, used at, at on a large basis. Absolutely. And so what happened here with, you know, with the Real ID Act, maybe we should talk a little bit about the Real ID Act and what's happening and why uh, Sumitian is so concerned and about the legislation. So let's take one thing at a time. The Real ID Act, do you want to talk a little bit about that and what sure. it's is actually and, and causing? And I
2: would tie the Real ID Act in with passports as well because we've got this whole right. sort of move, uh, and even IBM's recent announcement that it wants to have some international identification standards. We, we have a move afoot now across um, not just the government in the state of California but across the federal government and across the world to to identification standardization and one of the concerns that we have around this whole issue of standardizing identification is, is what forms will those identity documents take? I mean, we we have a long um, history of, of liberty in this country of sort of reacting very negatively to the idea of jackbooted thugs demanding our papers and and uh, stopping us at checkpoints. You know, there's, there's definitely this... Um, sort of American aversion. I think it's a healthy aversion to the idea that, that government authorities would be able to stop us at any point and demand to see documentation from us. The, the the concern that I have now is with the passage of the Real ID Act, which essentially gives the federal government and the Department of Homeland Security the authority to mandate driver's license standards in the fifty states. And the concern that I have about IBM's proposals now for international standards, which could potentially, down the road, give international bodies the ability to mandate standards. And now we see the State Department, along with um, the ICAO, mandating um, uh, conditions for international identification documents like passports. And so all of this is converging to this notion that now the the, the government would like to see us carrying identity documents which contain biometrics, which contain um, various uh, readable aspects, machine-readable technologies. And the one that raises the most uh, alarm bells, I think, for many people is the idea of actually placing RFID tags into identity documents. And the reason this is such a terrible idea is because an RFID tag, unlike a barcode where you have to actually have what's called line of sight, you have to actually take the, the card out of your wallet and hold it up to a reader or hand it to someone if you want them to read the barcode or to scan that mag stripe you actually have to know you, you, you would actually be aware of when and where your identification document was being read with these new proposals in passports which will be RFID enabled by October 2006 and potentially in driver's licenses with the, the passage of the real ID act what we may see is this remote readable chip being in, incorporated into identity documents, so that anyone with the right um, uh, encryption algorithm and the right information about the tag would actually be able to read your passport or your driver's license potentially from a distance. And we already have, even though these things are kind of slated for the future, we already have one example occurring right now with the U.S. visit program, which is the um, the INS um, immigration system where visitors on visas to the United States are actually carrying these U.S. visit documents that can be read from literally 20 or 30 feet away. And th- this means that wherever they travel with these devices on their person, a federal agent armed with you know, a little more than a, a reader device would be able to point the reader device at the individual and get back identifying information about them, information about their nationality, their date of birth, their, their name, and, and other information. So the, the, I think that as an example sort of sets the, the, the stage for some concern about this identity document concept where you could be innocently walking down the street with an RFID-enabled um, driver's license in your wallet or in your purse and because radio waves don't require line of sight, they can be invisibly transmitting right through your duffel bag or your briefcase or your wallet without your knowledge. And so if someone has the right reader device, they would be able to pick that information up. So the, the concern here, obviously, is that it, as the infrastructure goes into place for what we were talking about earlier, the RFID readers in the doorways, in the picture frames, in the in the shelves, in the stores, in other places – that eventually all of the reader device uh, infrastructure could converge with government interest in keeping tabs on the citizenry, and we actually could find ourselves living in an Orwellian-type nightmare where literally every doorway you walk through would be identifying you and reporting your presence back to marketers, uh, government agents, anyone who could hack into the system, and anyone who could figure out how to skim that information uh, that's, that's literally traveling through the air via these invisible radio waves. So it's, it's quite worrisome. The, the, the legislation that um, was, was recently introduced there in California, we absolutely support it at our organization, Caspian, because what it would do is actually phase. It, it would put protections in place for the next three years against the government essentially willy-nilly placing RFID tags into identity documents issued to California citizens. So uh, um, things like uh, library cards, School ID cards, California driver's licenses. It would essentially assure the public that those RFID tags won't be placed into those identity documents that they're required to carry. And you know, before we fully understand how the technology could be abused, before they fully worked out all of the security issues associated with it, and we think that's a very good idea because of um, abuses that we've already seen in other arenas in just the last couple of years with RFID, where. Those abuses have really made it plain, and as we spell it in Spy Chips, our book, those abuses have really made it plain that the people playing around with this technology do not understand the security implications of what they're messing with, and they they really don't have a good handle on how to implement this in a way that would keep people secure from identity theft and ultimately from, from abuse by the government itself.
1: Yeah, at that meeting that you were on the phone and I was in there physically, we had um, some legislators in there as well as the aide for Sumidian, who is the uh, California senator that introduced this legislation. And we found out, which I didn't know, maybe you knew this, but I didn't know that the uh, California legislators were carrying a badge that had embedded in the badge RFID uh, spy chips and that the readers were embedded in the walls when they entered the chamber for, to vote. <laughs> and, and the senators did. I don't know if you heard that, but this was uh, maybe you weren't on the phone at the time. But they, uh, the legislators announced this, and I said, Oh my gosh, so you mean the senators and the uh, assemblymen didn't know that this was going on? This is incredible. So truly, they their invasion was was uh, you know their privacy was invaded as well. That here they're walking around with these badges that have these identity chips to show whether they came in and voted or not. Unbelievable! I know, unbelievable. Which I thought was actually great for for some publicity because if if they you know feel invaded and they feel you know terribly upset by this, then maybe they <laughs> they'd help pass this bill. But you know I I thought we were the first uh state to actually pass RFID or at least introduce RFID legislation but I think you mentioned that in your state of New Hampshire you had a bill, is that correct? Yeah, there's actually been um,
2: our organization, Caspian, which is um, online at com we introduced legislation back in 2003, uh, a sample a, a piece of sample legislation called the RFID Right to Know Act. And that legislation patterned after that, which would essentially require retailers and manufacturers, and um, I guess government agents as well, to let you know when something that you were wearing or carrying had purchased or been issued contained an RFID tag and that legislation has been introduced in various forms in about a dozen states around the country. And in every single case, the industry lobbyists have come in and shot the legislation down. Now, bear in mind, this is not legislation that puts any restrictions whatsoever on the use of RFID. This is simply legislation that requires labeling so that, for example, you don't buy what you think is a, a you know, a, a pair of Nike tennis shoes, and the person selling it to you has secretly embedded an RFID RFID tag in it, as um, the, we have a patent from Philips in our book, Spy Chips, where Philips actually designed an RFID tag that, that they talk about placing in a shoe, it would be a flexible fabric antenna, that would be virtually undetectable, and then they talk about how it would be advantageous to query the tag in your shoe through reader devices embedded in the floor. Now, right now, that would be legal every place in this country. There would be nothing whatsoever preventing someone from selling you shoes Hiding a tracking device in the shoes and then using it any place they wanted to, to, to track and identify you. Now, what I find just astonishing is that the industry has been so actively lobbying against that legislation that in every state where it was introduced, it has um, failed to, to pass. Here in my home state of New Hampshire, where actually it just got out of the Commerce Committee with a unanimous vote in favor of passage. And we adopted some of the language from your work there in California because it's, um, it's so, it's just. Oh, wonderful what you've done there in getting this, this moved forward. In that, we also included some language in the state of New Hampshire bill that uh, would do two additional things. One, it would limit the use of RFID in government issued documents, prohibiting it in much the same way that the legislation in California would do. And then there's a third piece which would actually make it a crime to implant an RFID tag in a human being without that person's written consent. And that begins to raise a whole other very disturbing specter of, of government use of RFID, and that's the, the human implant version of RFID, where it's one thing if you've got a tag and an antenna stuck on a, a, a box of Kellogg cereal. It's another thing if you've got one stuck in your shoe or in your driver's license and it's still yet another if you've got one literally embedded in your flesh. And um, lest this sounds far-fetched and people listening say, oh, my gosh, you know, when are the black helicopters going to swoop in? There is a company, Applied Digital Solutions and the Vera Chip Corporation Vera for Verify, V-E-R-I chip, that have developed a version of RFID encapsulated in glass that can be injected into the flesh, Uh, So far, fewer than 60 people in the United States have actually had one of these devices embedded in them. But last year, they were approved by the FDA for medical purposes. The idea here being that the the number encoded in the chip, it would only contain a uh, a unique ID number. It would not contain your name or medical history. But that chip encoded with the unique ID number could be scanned by medical uh, emergency technicians or personnel. It would. they would then pick up that unique ID number. And in the same way that when you give someone your Social Security number, they can call up a whole record of your entire credit history, this unique number would be, enable them to call up your entire medical history. And uh, as, as we did research into that, after the USDA approved it, we found a couple of things. One, we found that that device, uh, along with their approval, that the FDA had actually issued a warning letter uh, accompanying their approval saying that the device had some very serious medical hazards associated with it. Some people have talked about this. Um, one of them is electromagnetic hazard. Now, this is interesting because you, you think that, you know, this glass-encapsulated thing in your body would be essentially inert, but it's anything but inert. It's actually highly reactive to electromagnetic radio energy in the environment. And, you know, obviously because it picks up and augments and magnifies that energy in order to stimulate its tiny chip to send back its its unique signal. So if you're in an environment where you're subjected to a large dose of electromagnetic uh, radiation like Someone sets off an EMP, an electromagnetic pulse weapon in the vicinity. Um, there, there's some sort of nuclear event. Um, you know, I guess you'd be in big trouble then anyway. Right. right. <laughs> um, but, but, but the other hazard, which is more of a um, one we're much more likely to encounter in our regular lives, is an MRI machine. And when they, the, the, the FDA specifically said that these implants are incompatible with MRI scans. And the reason for that is twofold. The MRI machine is such a powerful electromagnet that people have been killed when literally oxygen tanks have flown across the room into the MRI machine when it's flipped on. Um, Technicians working in there have to remove all zippers and all metal uh, earrings and other objects from from their person and from the room completely because the magnet is so powerful. Well, the Verichip's internal core is actually a ferrous or iron-based core. (laughs) So if you imagine you flip on an MRI machine and you've got this iron-based thing in your body, it's going to want to move towards that magnet, um, potentially tunneling through the flesh. The other thing that an MRI machine does is subject uh, the person in it to a very powerful dose of electromagnetic energy, which is exactly what these tags pick up and amplify. And we show in our book, um, Spy Chips, we've got a picture in there in the chapter titled The Chips That Won't Die of RFID tags after exposure to just six seconds in the microwave, and they're charred and burnt. They actually burst into flames. We've got a little funny scene in there of us, you know, frantically hitting stop on the microwave Mm -hmm. when we did it. So we don't recommend you try that at home. And we certainly don't recommend you try that with a chip inside of your, your body. So that being said, um, you know, there's some serious medical downsides to it. In fact, we, we joke uh, at Caspian and we say, you know, you, you, you think you want this chip in your arm so you don't have to wear the medical alert bracelet. You'd actually have the ironic situation of needing the medical alert bracelet to tell the technicians whatever they do, don't put you in an MRI machine. Exactly. Because you've got a chip in your arm. Um, the, the other thing, though, is that now that it received U.S. Uh, or excuse me, FDA approval, some, there was another development recently that w- was was very disturbing to us, and that is that Tommy Thompson, who is the former Secretary of Health and Human Services in the Bush administration and arguably the most powerful public health official on on the face of planet Earth, recently retired from his government post and took a position in private industry. And the position he took is on the board of directors of the Verichip Corporation. Mm-hmm. So now you have this high-ranking former government official using all of his government contacts, using all of his um, political pull to convince the heads of federal agencies that the the notion of implanting human beings with RFID tags is a good idea. And, in fact, um, Senator Joseph Biden at, at the recent Supreme Court hearings actually said, you know, you, there's, there's there's no question that the Supreme Court will be ruling on the issue of, of Human implants, microchip implants in human beings. So there's really, um, when Tommy Thompson tells CBS Market Watch, as he did a few months ago, that he's excited at the prospect of all Americans having a microchip embedded in their arm that would contain their electronic medical ID number. Yeah. (laughs) When he says that he, he looks forward to the day when these things are placed in the members of the military, that goes beyond the black helicopters, and it goes beyond marketing hype of a of a crazy corporation.
1: Right. And
2: it starts getting into some really serious issues that I think if we value our civil liberties and if we value our, our privacy, you know, we, we need to really kind of tune into this whole RFID issue and pay attention to the fact that not only do they want to place it in you know, Gillette razor blades and Pantene shampoo, as we've already found them doing, not only do they want to place it in our driver's licenses and in our passports, as they've proposed doing, but ultimately they want to place this stuff in our bodies. Right. And, and if we allow the infrastructure to be created in the, uh, on the commercial side, the, the marketers, the, the Procter & Gamble's, the Gillette's, the Walmart's, the, the, the commercial side that is driving millions, literally hundreds of millions of dollars in investment in the infrastructure to keep track of all of this stuff, then all it's going to take is a single terrorist event, a a single outbreak of of avian flu, a single public health event, whatever it is, to say, hey, we've got the infrastructure in place to track everything. Now we want to track the people. And at that point, simply embedding these chips into people's flesh and having the reader devices in doorways and in in shelving in our medicine cabinets and our homes as, as envisioned, you know, we, we literally could find ourselves, you know, from one day to the next, living in an absolute overnight surveillance society from which there really would be no
1: escape. It's, it's terrifying stuff. It, it is terrifying stuff. And we're speaking with Katherine Albrook, who is the co-author of the award-winning bestseller *Spy Chips: How Major Corporations and Government Plan to Track Your Every Mood Every Move with RFID*. Yeah, you know, it made me think when we were just talking about embedding it into human beings. I remember reading recently that a bunch of the DAs in Mexico City, did you read about that? Yeah, in fact, um, eight, 18 um, members of the staff of the Attorney General of, of Mexico were embedded with RFID. Right, and and they did it because there's there's a lot of kidnapping in Mexico City, and there were a lot of kidnapping of uh, of you know, DAs. And so this was the way that they could track these people. But you know, again you well know, that's that's an interesting case, Mari, because yeah. we actually talk about that in, in our yeah. book.
2: And and what what we found actually when I, I actually contacted the, the DA's office, I'm fluent in Spanish, so I called down to Mexico and I said, I want to get to the bottom of this. And what right. I found out was that um, while a lot of uh, media reports said that hundred and sixty people had been tagged, it has actually been only eighteen, which is you know eighteen right. too many in my opinion. <laughs> um, but 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 we found that the reason they had tagged them was to so that they could have access to a secure records room and apparently they, they keep um, secure sensitive information on on um, investigations that are underway in a, in a particular data room and rather than using um, you know other, other forms of admission or using a key or using you know whatever they, they decided to go with this very radical idea of placing them literally into the, the employees flesh and they had a reader device doorway so the, the read range, by the way, on these tags embedded in flesh is about 6 to 18 inches. So it's a common misconception that they would prevent kidnapping. They would do nothing of the sort because if you were kidnapped, you'd have to be within 18 inches of a reader to be found with right. one of these in you. So pla- pu- putting, placing one in a child to prevent a kidnapping would just be nuts. It would make no sense. Right. Um, but what it did do in this case is in order to pass into the secure records room, they passed through a portal, sort of a, like the anti-theft doorways they have in retail stores, and as they passed through the portal, it would sense the um, the chip, sense the unique ID number, cross-reference it with a list of approved people, and then open the doorway so
1: that they could go in. I- ironically, one of that's the... That's kind of like what they do with the senators in California. It sounds like oh, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Exactly. <laughs> Although they haven't yet placed it in their flesh. I guess that's not... No, fun. it's not in
1: their flesh. It's in their <laughs> badge, right.
2: Yeah. But, but what we found was that um, the, the attorney general himself, a, a, a gentleman named Manuel Macedo de la Concha, Actually resigned from his government post about six months after being implanted with the chip, which raised a whole other question is is what do you do when when you no longer want the chip in your body you 've actually had this thing injected into you and and by the way, the, the place they place these is between the elbow and the shoulder in the um, the skin of the upper arm, just just under the um, the surface layer of the skin. So you know the question is how do you, how do you get this out again? And it actually would require that a surgeon you know put you under right. uh, local local anesthetic and literally you know make an incision and cut you to to get the thing back out again. And uh, you know which raises its its own set of questions. In fact, in the book, when when we ask that question, we we jump into a patent by a California company called Persephone Inc. Where they actually patented a way to embed the chip deep into the internal organs of the body as a way to ensure that any effort to remove it would result in the individual's death, and they talk about using that in um, potentially even in runaways. I thought this was awful.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: you know teenage runaways would be unable to remove the chip from inside of their internal organs, um, you know because they, they would literally you know, be killed or kill themselves if they tried to remove it.
1: So that just gave us the chills. I know <laughs> we it's one thing; yeah, it's one thing to you know uh, put a chip in your dog, like we've done, you know, which is a dog, and it's a different kind of a thing. It's but it's entirely different putting it in your child, or you know, in in a human being. I mean, well, a,
2: yeah, or in an employee as a condition of employment. Presumably, the people in Mexico um, would have, at a minimum, they would have lost access to the secure records room and probably had to be reassigned. Um, we we tried to get to the bottom of that, but they they. They couldn't tell us. But, you know, the, the thing that, that we do in our book, Spy Chips, that I think makes this, um, that, that has made the book such a, such a powerful um, source of information is that we actually went into the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office and we looked at what what companies had in mind for this. And, you know, one way you can find out how companies are thinking and where they're placing their research and development efforts is you look at the patents that they've filed. And I'll tell you, the one that made the hair stand up on the back of our necks was one filed by IBM, and they literally patented something called a person tracking unit. And their plan is to develop person tracking units, which are RFID reader devices seamlessly um, embedded into the environment, whose sole purpose is to query the RFID tags on us as we walk past. And these would be the RFID tags in our belongings. In our, um, We have a picture in the book of a Calvin Klein clothing label. Right. Where uh, we saw these at a trade show last year where they had literally, you know, it's, a, it's a fabric label you could sew into the back of a shirt or a sweater. When you, when you pulled it off and you looked at the back, you saw something a little funny, but when you peeled it open, you actually saw that they had placed an RFID tag and an antenna inside of the clothing label. So you could be walking down the street wearing this. As I said earlier, there's no law anywhere in the country that would require them to even tell you they had placed it there. And every doorway you walk through equipped with a reader device could scan that, that information. And IBM envisions taking advantage of that potential, taking advantage of the RFID tags in our clothing and our shoes and our backpacks and the big pen and the chapstick and my purse and everything else, linking them up with the point-of-sale purchase records. Um, And this is something we haven't mentioned, but each individual item would have its own unique ID number. So unlike today where if you have a can of Coke, Mari, there in California, and I've got one here in New Hampshire, the, the barcode numbers would be the same on those cans of Coke. In this future world, if you bought a six-pack of Coke, each of the individual six cans would have a unique ID number. So literally every pair of socks, every light bulb, every razor blade would have a unique serial number. And when you bought those items and, and paid with a credit card or an ATM card or presented a frequent shopper card they could literally capture that unique ID number and register it in a database to you. So later on, I guess if they found the can of Coke by the side of the road, they could scan it and say, hey, wait a minute, that's that can of Coke that Catherine Albrecht, you know, the author of that new book, Spy Chip. she, she bought that at the Walmart last week. You know, let's call the litter police and send her a ticket. Um, you know, you <laughs> right, scan those unique ID numbers. Well, IBM's Person Tracking Unit takes advantage of this concept of scanning unique ID numbers and linking them to individuals. And they literally talk about hiding these Person tracking units, get this, in sports arenas, in shopping malls, in libraries, in museums, in theaters. They even talk about hiding these person tracking units in elevators and public restrooms.
1: Oh, my gosh.
2: So you're literally walking into the bathroom, and the bathroom is scanning you. And look, cross-referencing you in a database, making a log of when you passed through there, how long you spent in the stall, whether or not you washed your hands.
1: Oh my we, god! We, we've
2: even found a, um, an RFID tag embedded in a soap dispenser that can identify the person standing in front of it and determine whether they wash their hands or not. And and the the problem with this stuff, it's invisible. And according to IBM, Philips, uh, Intel, Accenture, all the big companies we've looked into. Their plans are for the reader devices to track this stuff to be absolutely ubiquitous. They want them everywhere. They want literally a network of these things seamlessly across the globe, keeping track of everything all the time. And, so and there if the is big government money. And there is mandates that you have one in your driver's license and right. IBM's got a person tracking unit. You're a sitting duck.
1: Right. And there's a ton of money in this too. And millions, so when hundreds you of millions. They, they're uh, yeah. predicting
2: billions, billions within the next couple of years.
1: You know, Catherine, you and I have been corresponding by email about, you know, these issues. And I've been sending you articles that I've been reading. And you've been sending me articles that, uh, that that you've seen as well. And there is a tremendous amount of fear of your book. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, not not by just consumers. I mean, fear by these companies and industry that you're going to cause some problem because you're revealing a lot of this. And uh that's that's a real huge issue is they're t- they're basically trying to say that you and people like, you know, Senator Symidian are really against any kind of technology that's gonna help, you know, the government and going to help all these companies, but that really isn't the case, is it? Well, you know what's so crazy about this is that in all of the, the
2: firestorm of criticism around this issue, no one on the pro or FID side has addressed the very real uh, things that we raise in our book. The fact that this technology has been hidden, uh, we, we found that this, 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 the, the future store, which is IBM and Nestle and Procter & Gamble and Gillette, all these companies got together, and they have this, this big retail show place in Rheinberg, Germany, and I went over and toured the store. I've got a story about this in in, in Spy Chips, where, you know, I talk about how I, I was over there, and we discovered inadvertently that they had hidden an RFID tag in the frequent shopper cards issued to 10,000 shoppers. And who knows how they were using that, but they could have used it, it, you know, outside the store they could have used that anywhere to track these people from five feet away as they walk through doorways right through their wallets. So right there you've got an example that clearly they have an interest in hiding this stuff. We've got the patents talking about hiding this into, um, you know, people's clothing. We've got Procter & Gamble talking about wanting to have a reader device in your refrigerator hooked up to the internet that they would you know basically convince you to have so that you wouldn't have to make a shopping list the store would automatically know when you ran out of orange juice i guess and have it waiting for you on your next trip but but then they talk about the reason they really want it which is when you drink the last coke the television that your cable tv company would know and would then run an ad for a competing product like pepsi because they know you're thirsty and you're going to be in the market for a cola So, you know, all of these very detailed plans in the company's own words are are essentially what we lay out in Spy Chips. We went through, my co-author Liz McIntyre and I went through literally 30,000 documents by the time we compiled the information in Spy Chips. We've got several hundred footnotes in there. Um, That being said, she always tells me to to point out to people that if you say footnotes, they're going to think it's a heavy, boring No, 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 it's Um, not boring at all. (laughs) (laughs) I always point out that um, it has a mention of Elvis. It's got a talking plant. And she tells me to tell everybody it has two mentions of whipped cream.
1: (laughs) Exactly.
2: So it's a it's a lively read, but it really does raise this this very serious concern about companies who have invested a lot of money and research and R and D time. And yep. developing extraordinarily sophisticated ways to use the infrastructure to tag, literally tag and track us. I mean, that's absolutely what they want to do. They mince no words about wanting to do it um, and, until, of course, you, you put it in a book and you publish it. <laughs> right,
1: right, right, right. <laughs> then they want to deny it all. So, Well, it um, just reminded me, and you had mentioned in your book about minority reporting, and I remember when I, when I saw that movie, Because that's exactly what was happening, is that, you know, they could recognize him by his eyes, they could, you know, they could read his his eyes, they could read everything, you know, anywhere he, he goes, he's being tracked. And, well, uh, you
2: know that billboard that says, how, how did those assorted tank tops work out for you? Uh, you know, yeah. They, the, the billboard's IDing him as he walks past, and we actually found um, a, a patent by Bank of America, of all, of all companies, that they actually want to develop precisely that kind of billboard. It would literally ID you and, and you know, sense what you had in your bag and, and offer you um, ads for things. IBM talks about wanting to scan what's in a woman's purse, and if they identified, this is right through the leather or plastic, because, of course, radio waves don't care. So it would scan right through her purse. And if they identified that she was carrying, for example, a baby bottle or a diaper or a thing of baby powder, it would it, the next interactive billboard she passed would, would flash her an ad for baby products. So they've got this vision of this world where we would be spammed. I mean, not just through our email and <laughs> through the junk right. mail and our catalogs in our mailbox, but literally as we just walk around in in public, we would be constantly spammed by these companies who've rifled through our personal belongings and used them to to target us with marketing messages that, frankly, I think very few people are going to want to be exposed to.
1: I know it's it's incredible, and you know we thought about uh, the. Um you know, is it is it okay to chip the dead? Like we're thinking about what's what's happened recently with the victims of of Katrina and the hurricane. What do you think about chipping the dead people? To, to, to you know, we
2: actually um, I, that, that it's interesting you should raise that issue because there are a lot of people with very deep philosophical um, arguments against being chipped with RFID. And one of the one of the groups that comes up frequently when you talk about this is is Christians who have a concern about being numbered and, and marked. And uh, you know, people people raise the specter of the mark of the beast, or the idea that there would be a number or a mark in your hand or your forehead required to buy or sell. And there's actually a version of this Vera chip implant called the Vera Pay. They just gave it a fancy name. It's the same exact thing. But the idea is that um, now instead of using that unique ID number to link up with a, um, a medical record, you would link it up with your your financial account, so by scanning your unique ID number, you would transmit your credit card number, your bank account, you know, make a deduction from your bank account, and for many Christians, this raises an alarm bell of this notion that, uh, you know, a as in the last book of the Bible That there will be a time When people won't be able To buy or sell Unless they have This, this mark of the beast This number Associated somehow With their hand Or their forehead That they would be Required to use To buy or sell In, in the end the end of time And so when, when you talk about Implanting people With RFID You actually raise um, You know you don't have To be a Christian I think to find the idea Of, of a chip implant In the flesh Extraordinarily disturbing um, Civil liberties Privacy and everything else But when, when you start talking About chipping the dead Many people I think would view that as a, a sort of a desecration of, of, you know, someone's body. I mean, I know for me, I certainly don't want a chip in me ever, um, you know, for a whole number of, of, right. <laughs> of vast philosophical reasons. And the idea that someone without my permission would actually do that to me when I was dead, reduce me to a numbered piece of inventory in the, you know, in the morgue inventory system. And, you know, scan me like a, like a piece of meat or a, or a piece of inventory is just mortifying. And then the idea that I would actually go, you know, to my grave eternally linked up with this creepy microchip in my body is just, is just absolutely makes my skin crawl. Yeah. And, and, you know, what it is, this company, Verich, the Verichip Corporation, because they've only gotten 60 people to take these chips, they're doing everything they can think of to find markets for their products. And so what you'll find them doing is swooping in like vultures in in cases like the aftermath of, of Hurricane Katrina and swooping in and, and offering to, to donate quote unquote you know these systems which they donate them for 200 bucks a pop this is the exact same technology that they place in dogs and cats for 30 40 bucks so they're getting a tax write off for a $200 donation they're getting tons of media coverage for doing it and it just you know it further promotes their, their whole business concept I'll tell you, this company really crossed a line for me recently because it's working with a, 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 a home for the mentally disabled in Chattanooga, Tennessee called the Orange Grove Center where 250 mentally disabled patients, are, are adults, are, are living in this facility. And they've come in now with a plan to literally chip these adults who are not even in a position to say no because of their mental disability. And if you, you, you want to talk about sort of swooping in on, on the, um, you know, people who can't give consent. I figure if fewer than 60 people will, will willingly give them consent. They probably ought to just pack up their toys and go home, um, not go out there in search of people who, who can't say no. And, of well, course, today it's, you know, the mentally disabled, tomorrow it's going to be Alzheimer's patients and babies and, you know, anybody they can get, uh, in, you know, to, to hold down long enough to stick this plunger in their arm and stick the microchip in them, I think
1: they'll do it. You know, Catherine. It reminds me of, and I think you were on the phone when we had this meeting up in Sacramento, where the the whole reason that um, Senator Samidian introduced this RFID legislation was it was brought to his attention that there was a there's a small comi- uh, community in Northern California, in which the um, the school actually had badges for the kids to wear that had RFID's, so that they could track these kids. And then the kids went home, and one of the parents was totally outraged and said what is going on here and it turned out that the principal of the school and the school board members and everyone else were were, were uh, influenced and actually taking part in this um, corporation that was providing free FRFIDs, and and so at this meeting that we were at there were a lot of parents that were quite upset that their children, when you're talking about whether it's mentally ill people, these are kids that really don't have the right to say no to their schools, that, yes, you know, I'm going to be wearing this badge that has an RFID in it. Well, in fact, the principal in that case, we actually detail
2: that that right. cool story in our book, Buy right, um, right. Chips. But the principal in that case, Ernie Graham, actually, um, you know, he struck us as just the the quintessential administrative bully. Um, in fact, I have a quote in there from him where, where he actually said, "You know, I'm in charge, and I get to make these kind of rules." And here here we find out that the, the school district and and you know the, all the, all these folks were getting kickbacks from the company, financial exactly. kickbacks from from tagging these these children, and it, it, the, the idea is that the, the children would literally be wearing tracking devices around their necks. Uh, even, they had even put, they'd put reader devices, the idea was to put the reader devices in the doorways of the classrooms, even in a bathroom. So they could literally track in time children's bathroom visits. Right. I mean, you know, it's, it's already, I, I, I just was... And this is
1: without the parents' consent, without the parents' knowledge, without, you know, anyone having this in an open school board meeting. Well, and in fact, when the parents tried to, tried to object, they said that the parents
2: are in no position to make any sort of calls as to what happens in the school district.
1: Um, yeah. And, and this is what has, has driven this, because the kids really didn't have the right to say no. And like you well, said, neither did the parents. Well, and I think that's why this, you know, until everybody
2: gets up to speed, I'm, you know, I'm working on my doctoral research at Harvard, and I'm finding that fewer than 10 to 15 percent of people have even heard of this technology. So until we all get up to speed, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars are, are being invested right under our noses. Until we get up to speed, the, the, we really should, I, I think, slow down. And think twice before mandating the use of this stuff in, in any kind of government-issued ID, and even in consumer products. I think we need to all get on the same page, understand what the privacy implications are for this extraordinarily dangerous technology. And that's actually why we, we devoted, uh, Liz and I devoted a year of our lives to writing this book and, and putting out everything that we could find so that people can, you know, can buy a copy of Spy Chips, get informed, hopefully pass it along to, to friends and neighbors and, and let other people know. And, uh, you know, ho- hopefully by simply being informed, we can we can at least slow down some of the onslaught of the person tracking unit and everything that, that, that goes along with it.
1: Right. Well, it, it was a real eye-opener for me to read spy chips, and it also is a, an eye-opener. And exactly what you're saying is that we have to slow down, and I think that's why it's so important for anyone who's listening here to really support uh, Senator Joe Simitian and his seven bill, uh, Senate Bill 768, because... That's what it's doing. It is trying to slow down, at least for government issues I- IDs, to really restrict the um, the use of these for at least three years until we can study them more, to to more of us can you know read spy chips and catch up. But well, and gonna- it's so important if you if anybody who's hearing this interview, you know,
2: call your state lawmakers and tell them that you absolutely support legislation that that that, that would restrict the use of RFID by the government. This bill specifically, and, you know, just just generally, buy them a copy of Spy Chips, mail it. We have a lot of people who have done that throughout the country, actually bought a copy and sent it to their lawmakers and been amazed at, you know, the response
1: that they got. I had no idea. Right. Typically the response from people when they've read it. So we're going to send everybody to uh, www.spychips.com to learn more and... Thank you so much, Catherine, for joining us and sharing your wonderful expertise. We wish you the very best of luck, and we'll have to have you back on and find out what's happening with all of these uh, spy chips and RFIDs. I sure appreciate it, Mari. It's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, hopefully we can do it again. We'll keep you posted. Okay, thank you very much. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. You've been listening to Privacy Piracy. To learn more about our show, our and hear our previous guests we've got archived interviews and find out more about our upcoming guests you can go to KUCI.org forward slash privacy piracy join us next week we really would appreciate hearing from you you can go and email us at our website and you wanna stay tuned and next week we're going to be having um, Senator Jackie Speer. And also a lobbyist, Lenny Goldberg. So join us at 88.9 FM Minervime and KUCI.org. Privacy Piracy, 5 to 6. Thanks. Thanks, Lloyd.
2: The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.